0: okay we'll go ahead and get started this week as you can see on screen we'll be talking about mormonism this was the top vote getter on the poll that we took narrowly edging out islam which will be in a subsequent week before we start quick poll are there any former mormons in here i didn't think so does anybody have a mormon family member one back there okay i have one as well my my dad's sister's husband's brother's wife is, is a Mormon. <laughs> if I said it was my cousin's aunt, you'd be like, well, that's your mom, Chris. So <laughs> it's not my mom. It's a trail to get there. Um, anybody know any Mormons? Okay, quite a few. Some of you may not realize that you know some Mormons, but we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But that'll be our topic for today. So let's pray, and then we'll get into that. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to Remember the truth of your word this morning uh, in the face of uh, learning about a religion that sounds a lot like Christianity but uh, veers pretty far from your revealed word. So I pray that this time would be one where we can be grateful for what you've uh, opened our eyes to see and give us courage to, to share that truth with those who uh, are deceived by non-truth. Pray that this be glorifying to you and edifying for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to talk through Mormonism using the same kind of model that we've done before for the non-explicitly religious religions if That made sense, um, but we're gonna start the same way and try to start with the basic idea We'll do a little history of Mormonism and then go through our T.A.K.E.S Model and then see where we are on time. We may have to sneak into a second second week, but the basic idea of Mormonism Is a mystery there we go. (laughs) So basic idea of Mormonism would be that in short, man is a god in embryo. Man is a god in embryo. Now I put that in quotes because I didn't make that up. Uh, Those are the words of John Widstow, who served as one of the 12 Mormon apostles for about 30 years back in the early 1920s into the 1950s. But this little statement really encapsulates one of the core doctrines of the Mormon faith, and so much of the Mormon worldview revolves around this idea that man is God in embryo. Just to elaborate on that a little bit, here are some fairly famous words from Joseph Smith, Joseph Smith directly, who was the founder of Mormonism. Earlier on in his theology, he didn't have this kind of perspective about God, even when he wrote the Book of Mormon, which we'll get to that history, he didn't really hold this position, but his much later theology really revolved around this idea towards the end. And this quote here, which I'll read since it's small, comes from one of the last sermons that he preached. It's known as either the King Follett Discourse or the King Follett Sermon. And then he said this, God himself was once as we are now and is an exalted man and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. That is the great secret. Here, then, is eternal life, to know the only wise and true God, and you have got to learn how to be gods yourselves, and to be kings and priests to God, the same as all gods have done before you. Wowzers. Uh, (laughs) We'll tease this out a bit more uh, throughout our time. But before we do that, let's look at the impact of Mormonism a little bit, because if just one or two wackos believe this, we can kind of dismiss it. But Mormonism is often cited as one of the fastest growing religions in the world. It claims about 17 million members across the globe today. Just over five and a half million of those are in the United States, which surprised me, might surprise you, that now the majority of Mormons are actually outside of the United States. You can see big pockets in South America, uh, especially. There are also giant pockets in North America. Uh, Of course, Utah and also Arizona have huge populations of Mormons. But uh, I did a quick search online and this is a map of the area around Newcastle. That's us in the middle and you can see there are a pretty decent number of they call them wards instead of they might say churches, but wards is what they officially are that are just within a handful of miles around us. There are also uh, big Mormon temples. There are only a few of those in North America, but the nearest ones to us would be Chicago, St. Louis and Indianapolis as we pulled before a lot of us know some mormons Uh, a lot of the rest of you may know some and you don't realize it Uh, i found that i worked with a handful at caterpillar in fairly high-ranking positions didn't realize there are mormons until it kind of popped up um, not in conversation i don't know how i figured it out but i eventually figured it out so they're around Uh, they are around us and it's something that we ought to be equipped to deal with now i want to give a brief and it will have to be brief history of Mormonism to see why we're talking about it. First the the official full name of the church is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and actually that hyphen there is important. There was a split in the church uh, a handful of years ago and The the split off version doesn't use the hyphen. It's a much smaller group that we won't focus on so much But if you're going to talk about the official church, this is the one you want to talk about with the hyphen uh, in there. Now, as I give you this history, I'm going to say a lot of things that are just chronological, verifiable, historical fact. I'm going to say a lot of other things that need the word allegedly in front of it. I'll say it some of the times. I might not say it the other times, but you'll probably figure out which is which. So here we go. Um, Mormonism began with Joseph Smith, Jr., the guy we quoted before. He was born in 1805 in Vermont. His dad, Joseph Smith, Sr., was known to be a, uh, a treasure hunter. Uh, notably searching for the treasure of Captain Kidd and his mother was a very superstitious woman. She had a lot of interest in the the more strange religious practices of the day. Joseph Smith Jr. stated uh, as a young boy he was disturbed by the fact that Christianity had so many different denominations and he wanted to know which one was true. So in 1820 when he was uh, 14 years old he went into the woods to pray to find out from God which of the denominations was correct and Allegedly I'll say at this time around allegedly God the Father and Jesus Christ appeared to him and told him not to join Any of the current Christian denominations Then three years later when he was 17 um, He was in the woods again and an angel named Moroni allegedly um, Who was supposed to be the son of Mormon who is the leader of the people called the Nephites that allegedly lived in uh, the Americas appeared to him And gave him some revelation and told him that he Joseph was chosen to translate the Book of Mormon which was compiled by this angel Moroni's father in the 4th century AD. Um, These were on golden tablets and the writing was in what is being called reformed Egyptian uh, and they were buried and hidden near where Joseph Smith lived in New York at the time and Smith said that he finally received these plates in September of 1827 and the angel Moroni instructed him to begin the translation process. The way that Smith did this translation, he used some seer stones and some weird glasses that he made, kind of like the multicolored glasses in uh, National Treasure, and then he was behind a veil dictating what he was reading, and another guy uh, wrote it down. Smith claimed that while he was doing this translation, John the Baptist appeared to him and ordained him to accomplish this divine work of restoring the true, tur- true church and preaching the true gospel which had again allegedly been lost from the earth since the time of the Apostles. All of this was eventually then published in 1830 in what we know to be the Book of Mormon. <coughs> really quickly about the Book of Mormon itself it's supposed to be the account of people that came to the Americas from the Middle East It covers a period of about 600 B.C. to the 400s A.D. It talks of a people known as the Jaredites, which were uh, a people from the Tower of Babel who came to Central America, but perished due to their immorality. But it also describes um, some Jews that fled Jerusalem, fled persecution in Jerusalem to the Americas, led by a man called Nephi. And then the Jews divided into two groups known as the Nephites and the Lamanites, who eventually fought each other. And the Nephites were eventually defeated in A.D. 428, while the Lamanites continue to exist and are now known at what we know as the American Indians. So if you catch there, Native American Indians in this view are ethnically Jewish by this account. I happen to have some Native American blood, so it turns out I'm actually a son of Abraham both in flesh and in faith, so <laughs> I'm pretty well covered. Um, the Book of Mormon itself is the account of this Nephite leader, Mormon, And it's talking about their culture, their civilization. It records appearances of Jesus in the Americas. And I don't know about any of you, but that is what I can remember from 20, 30 years ago, seeing commercials on TV. It was talking about, uh, had like a tagline of, did you know that Jesus encountered the North American Indians? And I was young. Um, And it had a tagline saying, to find out more, contact the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And this was pre-Christian Christy in this. And I was like, no way. That's incredible. Um, but luckily, I didn't know how to use a phone, so I couldn't call to, to get more information. But I remember those commercials. I don't know if you guys remember seeing those. I lived in Morton, and there were a lot of um, Latter day Saint commercials. Okay. Uh, for the Latter day Saint church, the Book of Mormon that I just described is considered the Word of God along with the Bible. So, what we would consider the Bible, they also consider the Word of God. The Book of Mormon is also the Word of God, but they also have additional revelations that Joseph Smith received that they consider part of their official canon. And those would be the Doctrine and the Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price. So those three unique books along with the Bible is what they consider their full canon, their four official works. One thing I'm going to say, and it is historically accurate, so I'm not bashing on anyone, But one of the books within the Pearl of Great Price is known as the Book of Abraham. And this book originated as a collection of Egyptian scrolls that were discovered in the early 19th century um, during an archaeological dig. And some members of the early LDS Church uh, bought the scrolls from a traveling mummy exhibition. And then Joseph Smith um, translated those scrolls into English himself. And according to him, this was uh, a translation of these ancient records of the time of Abraham when he was in Egypt. So that's what he translated it into. The papyri, the scrolls that were used for this were thought to have been lost in the great Chicago fire uh, in 1871. But in 1966, some fragments were found at the, the Met Museum in New York, as well as in some LDS archives. So they have now some copies of the papyri that he translated, which means that now real Egyptologists and translators could examine them. And what it turns out that they were, were these Egyptian funerary texts, which were texts to help people know how to navigate into the afterlife and what the proper preparation should be for burial, for moving into the afterlife. So nothing at all, having anything to do with what Joseph Smith wrote down. Interestingly, the the LDS church still defends the book of Abraham as authentic. They've just kind of changed the definition of what translated means. They would say that it's a spiritual translation or that God used the Egyptian symbols uh, as the tool of inspiration for Joseph Smith to write down what he did in the book of Abraham. So do with that what you will, but that's a little history there. And since I previewed it last week, I brought this uh, consolidated Mormon scriptures that I bought off of eBay. This belonged to a kid called Austin. It's got all kinds of personalized notes in it and highlights where he put them in there. I believe he received this at his Mormon baptism. And I'm really hoping that I was able to buy this off of eBay because Austin has left the Mormon Church and has found the true Christ. But this is this giant book would be there for official work. So it has um, the King James translation of the Bible, has the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, and Pearl of Great Price all in one spot. So please make sure that if anybody sees me with this, you let them know. If I don't, that this is for research purposes only. Okay? And I, I know it's a risky move. Risky move um but that's their official works um long story short in terms of history uh, joseph smith and his brother were eventually killed by an armed angry mob in, 19, in 1844 while they were in jail awaiting trial um, this gave him the bonus of being considered a, a latter-day saint martyr at this point some interesting elements of the story of him being killed by an angry mob was he was in the early stages of a presidential run actually at this point which i didn't know until recently And he's actually the first presidential candidate to ever have been assassinated. He's in the he's in the books for that. Part two uh, uh, that's interesting is what part of what led to this angry mob coming after him was the fact that Joseph Smith had proposed marriage to the wives of two men. um, So already their wives. Uh, uh, They were working at a newspaper who were printing some anti Mormon sentiments and you know you'd get on my bad side too if you proposed to my wife. But that's part of the thing that set the train in motion for for an angry mob to to go after him. After Joseph Smith, he was succeeded by uh, Brigham Young, Brigham Young, which you may have heard of. He's the namesake of Brigham Young University or BYU. And by the time that Young took over, the the number of followers had grown pretty significantly. Uh, They all also had a recent move from the Northeast into uh, Illinois and into Missouri a little bit. But then under Brigham Young, the church really grew even more. He was a very inspirational leader for them, and he's the one who eventually led everybody to Utah to found Salt Lake City. And it's at the time of Joseph Smith's death, where that split that I referenced happened before. So there are some smaller subsets of Mormonism, but the ones that you know of are surely the Salt Lake City variety, the hyphen Latter-day Saints. Brigham Young really cemented a lot of those later teachings of Joseph Smith. As Joseph Smith started to get further and further from anything resembling Orthodox Christianity or even monotheism, Brigham Young really locked those things in. But even now, some of Brigham Young's teachings are even considered unorthodox by Mormon standards. Uh, He had some pretty radical ideas such that uh, Adam and God were the same being. He taught that, which the church has since uh, repudiated, but he said that and taught that as a prophet of the church. So you could already see from the very beginning how malleable the Mormon faith is, and we'll see that um, as we go. So that's a brief history, just to give you some background and idea of the origins of the religion. uh, I should also mention in the very recent past, just the last couple of years, they've officially moved away from uh, referring to themselves as Mormons. They've moved away from the term Mormon as a descriptor. Most people think it's to get away from some of their past. They prefer to be called as a church body the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or as a collection of just being called Latter-day Saints. Uh, An individual would prefer to be called a Latter-day Saint, uh, or a lot of them are just trying to be called Christians now, which is a non-starter for me, but that's part of what they're trying to to do. I'm still gonna refer to them as Mormons today, because that's historically what they've been called, and it's easier. I'm not gonna say Latter-day Saint 150 times, so Mormons, but not officially anymore. A ton more can be said about their history. I'm not going to get into that today. I'm also not going to get into some of the the stranger practices that they do or the really strange stuff that their revelations contain. I'm not going to talk about the sacred temple underwear, as exciting as that might be. We can talk about that another time. So hopefully you're not disappointed. But we'll mostly be thinking of Mormonism as a religious you know, system, as a worldview. So we're still going to take it through the T-A-K-E-S acronym that we've used to critique and look at the other worldviews so let's go ahead and start that starting with t for theology like always so this will be what does the mormon doctrine say about god well mormonism is very polytheistic that's the fancy term for them believing in many 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 gods Uh, according to traditional mormonism there would in fact be an infinite number of gods Uh, joseph smith Earlier in his career, if you want to call it that, started a lot closer to Orthodox Christianity. Of course, it was still heretical, but it was closer to Orthodox Christianity. But towards the end of his life, as we saw in the, the King Follett sermon, he got to be an unambiguous, unambiguously polytheistic, uh, as, as we saw before. And then Brigham Young, like I, like I mentioned, was also very clearly a polytheist and cemented Smith's later teachings and turned it into canonized teachings and scriptures. The God of this particular world in their terms would be uh, Elohim. That's what they often refer to him as, which is the somewhat generic Hebrew word for God. We see in the Old Testament usually can be, it can be used as a noun for any type of God. It's not a proper name, but that's the proper name they give to their God. They suggest that when the, when the name Yahweh is used in the Old Testament, that's actually the proper name of Jesus. Whereas God, the father is Elohim. Another interesting distinctive view of Mormonism is that they think that all reality is material. Uh, So all all of the world that we experience, all reality that exists is uh, material in nature, which is kind of surprising for a religion to teach that, especially one that teaches about spiritual beings. But they would say that everything that exists exists in space and in time. And that would mean that God, uh, the angels, all the gods, they too are material. The gods and the angels are embodied material beings like us in the sense that they do have physical bodies and are part of the material universe. So the angels and demons don't exist outside in some transcendental non-material spiritual realm. They still are material beings and exist within the bounds of the material universe and reality. Um, You may have heard of a star called Kolob. You ever heard that in the Mormon context? Uh, There's a famous hymn called If I Could High to Kolob. I previously understood this to be a planet where they believe that Elohim lived, but that's not quite right. It's technically the star nearest to where Elohim lives, but that means that they do believe that Elohim, God, lives on a physical planet somewhere in space and in time. Um, This is official teaching from the Doctrine and Covenants here. It says, The Father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's, the son also. So um, God, the father is basically a man like we are, Um, but not only does God or Elohim have flesh and bones, but also according to Mormonism in general, the gods were actually human like us. So in this view, gods and humans are, are basically the same species, just at a different stage of development. And this is a key teaching, a key tenet of Mormon theology that we'll get into a bit more later. Uh, Mormonism also claims that the universe has always existed. So the universe is eternal. So importantly, that would mean that they deny the, the Christian traditional Christian doctrine of creation out of nothing, creation ex nihilo. They would suggest that matter that stuff has always existed, which mean that which means that the physical universe is actually more ultimate than the gods because the gods are part of that created or that eternal world, so The God of this world, Elohim, created this particular galaxy or set of worlds, but he didn't always exist. He was not eternal. He, too, was a created being. Uh, Really, according to Mormonism, you'd have to call the universe is like a God factory, uh, as it produces these gods in an infinite regression backwards, and then those gods turn into world factories. Each god makes his own world and is its creator, and creates it out of pre-existing matter. You might hear that term a few times. Then he seeds that world with human beings, which those human beings then have the opportunity to become gods themselves, and the cycle keeps on going and going in what they refer to as the eternal progression. So there's an infinite regression backwards of gods and a potentially infinite progression forward of gods. So overall, hopefully you get it's a radically different view of god than traditional orthodox christianity would even though they use a lot of the same terminology as we do still more to say about their view of god but we'll cover it in the next section as we start to talk about man in anthropology so this would be what does mormonism have to say about human beings and we just previewed a little bit of this earlier but in this world humans are made by god um, specifically made by elohim so you might see a superficial similarity to Christianity here. They wouldn't say that we're the results of undirected, unguided evolutionary processes. They're not naturalists in that way. They would say that we are created by God in our physical bodies, particularly, but human beings pre-existed in a spiritual realm. So Elohim didn't create our physical bodies out of nothing. That was pre-existing matter. Um, But... The description of how we were made is about to get a little bit weird. So again, sounding a bit like us, they would say that Adam was the first man created in the image of God. But when they say image of God, and I put specifically image of Elohim, that's absolutely literal. Adam was literally made in the image of Elohim in the sense that, as I said, Elohim has a physical body even now. And so Adam is made with the same kind of physical body that Elohim had. Um, Adam is essentially, as I said, the same species same kind of being as Elohim and that's what it means to be made in the image of God for a Mormon. But as I was kind of saying there additionally Adam and we preexisted even before getting this physical body. Um, before we got the body we have now we pre existed uh, according to Mormon teaching. Um, we existed as what are called spirit children of Elohim. So this is often why more often than even saying Elohim they'll refer to God as Heavenly Father. They don't say God all that often. They typically say Heavenly Father, really emphasizing that father portion because Adam was and we are literally spiritual offspring of Heavenly Father Elohim. Uh, Elohim procreated with a spiritual female to produce spiritual children from one of his many spirit wives. So technically, there's also a a heavenly mother in Mormonism, but she doesn't get a lot of uh, attention but this spiritual, the spirit procreation happened first, and then Adam became the first human of this world to be given a physical body to become the head of the human race. So we, like Adam, pre-existed as a spirit child of Heavenly Father in a previous existence that we just don't remember. We don't remember any of this, but we all pre-existed in this view. A lot could be added to that. Uh, I don't know how helpful it would actually be, but a lot of interesting things happen there that you can research on your own or catch up with me uh, later. But this is all also true of Jesus, importantly, by the way. According to Mormon doctrine, Jesus was also a spirit child of Elohim first. He was, in fact, the first of his spirit children. Uh, you can see a perversion of the firstborn of all creation uh, as one of Jesus's descriptions in the Bible. And then Lucifer is often considered to be the secondborn and is Jesus's uh, spirit brother. But again, can't get into to all that right now. Um, I will, uh, I should add when I say spirit beings, uh, using Mormon terms, that still means material in some way. So like even our souls are still material in their view, because there's nothing outside of the material universe. Um, they would just say that our souls or these spirit beings are material in a way that can't be detected or experienced now, like we can't study it scientifically, but it's still made out of stuff more uh important stuff here we pre-existed much in the same way jesus did and now we have physical bodies but what that means now is that we are all in fact potential gods ourselves just like elohim was a man and became a god and this is a very core mormon doctrine every human being is potentially a god because the gods themselves are in fact just exalted human beings all of the gods of all the worlds we only know of this one but they were all human once too Uh, at least what we would consider to be human, and then became exalted human beings. Um, And as I said before, we're basically the same species. Gods and people are the same species, just at different stages of development. Uh, The Mormon view of of God and man that I've gone over here is summarized really neatly in a couplet by uh, this guy, Lorenzo Snow, who was the fifth president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is how he put it. He said, as man now is god once was as god now is man may be as man now is god once was as god now is man may be even he looks surprised that he, <laughs> <laughs> that he said that um but that that's a good summary of of what they uh, of what they think so we've got god and man let's move on then to the k for knowledge so how do mormons know uh what they know and what kind of things do they know in a lot of ways, um, Mormons would believe the same things that we do about you know, our ability to use our senses and to use our reason to, to come to knowledge because we live in the God created by Elohim or made in him, His image. He's made it so that we can understand those things. Of course, bringing all the baggage with those descriptions, uh, it sounds similar to, to what we would believe, but what's most important for our purposes, purposes would be where they deviate from what we would say, and that's really in their view of revelation about what kind of knowledge is revealed to us from god they do believe in divine revelation they believe in verbally inspired scriptures just like we do they believe that the bible is the word of god but they also believe as i said that the book of mormon is the word of god Um, for them word of god means both bible and book of mormon and i can confirm that from their official articles of faith they say we believe the bible to be the word of god As far as it is translated correctly, we'll come back to that. We also believe the Book of Mormon to be the word of God. So again, that's from their articles of faith. And as I said, in the history section, there's also additional revelation to those two works that comes through Joseph Smith and has been written down into texts as their official documents that I mentioned earlier, being the Doctrine and Covenants and Pearl of Great Price. Those are collections of additional revelations from God, but through the prophet Joseph Smith. Um, and technically they still receive revelations through their prophets and apostles, uh, to this day. Joseph Smith did teach that the Bible was the word of God. So that was a good start, as I mentioned before, but they have that qualifier only as far as it is translated correctly. So the Bible is the word of God, as far as it is translated correctly. And obviously in his day, he didn't believe that it had been translated correctly. Um, and what he actually meant by translated was transmitted correctly. So he didn't think that the contents of the original scriptures had survived the 2,000 years of being transmitted. So he didn't think the content was the same as the original content. It wasn't that he thought somebody got the Greek wrong or got the Hebrew wrong or something like that. Um, Smith actually attempted his own translation of the Bible, but it wasn't a translation in in those words either. He wasn't sifting through the Greek and the Hebrew manuscripts to try to make sure he got it right. He didn't know Hebrew or Greek, so he couldn't do that. So he wasn't doing a translation the way we think about it. What he was doing was really a wholesale rewriting of the Bible to fit his teachings. So any bit of the Bible that didn't match up with what he believed, he would basically rewrite it, and he would change it quite gratuitously. Um, Some of the changes are actually pretty funny, uh, if it weren't so sad. But uh, in Genesis 50, he adds a prophecy about his own future appearance. Um, uh, Genesis 50 is talking about Joseph the patriarch, right? Well, he added in a section that foretold of another Joseph yet to come um, in King James English, uh, apparently, uh, which is not how you would pronounce Joseph in the Hebrew. Um, Most of that weird translation stuff that he was doing didn't get left in their Bible. What they have is the Bibles is just the King James translation. It got moved to the Pearl of Great Price, which is a, a collection of things, but some of what it has is his own translation of Uh, Matthew is in there, and then additional books like the book of Moses and book of Abraham. Uh, How do the Mormons know that the book of Mormon is from God? If we've got all of this transmission question, how do they know the book of Mormon specifically is true? Well, they would say that um, they know that the book of Mormon is true by God giving them a testimony through the Holy Spirit. So they would say that the Holy Spirit can give some sort of a private revelation that the book of mormon is in fact the word of god that it came directly from him so you'll often hear mormons refer to this phenomenon called a uh, a burning of the bosom if you've heard that Uh, the idea is that if you want to know if the book of mormon is true you should read it and then pray to heavenly father to reveal to you whether or not what you read is true and from him and you're supposed to get this kind of burning of the bosom to, to tell you that it's true which is it's a subjective feeling a subjective experience something to tell you that yes, what I read was true. So if a, if a Mormon missionary or two ever come to your door, they're likely gonna give you some literature and that's typically what they'll tell you to do is to read the Book of Mormon and then pray that God would reveal to you whether or not it's true and you'll know by having this burning uh, in the bosom. Now, if I were in charge, I would be teaming up with like Chipotle or something so that you can really lock in that burning of the bosom <laughs> after, after reading it. but. I'm not in charge, so missed opportunity. Another very important component of this worldview is that revelation has not ceased. So there is continuing revelation that the Mormon church receives through their prophets and their apostles. So this would mean that the Mormon canon is never officially closed. Like we would say the Bible is final now, right? The book of Revelation is the end of it, but not so for Mormons. New revelations can be added to the scriptures or just to their official teaching by any sitting president of the latter-day saint church who is considered to be a prophet an actual mouthpiece uh, of god and this has happened at a few interesting times over the last 150 years or so in some key moments for the religion uh, one would be in 1890 that's when the lds church officially declared that polygamy was no longer allowed i'll touch on that a bit more in a bit but in 1890 it was revealed to their prophet that polygamy was no longer to be practiced by mormons another big one was in 1978 kind of on the heels of the civil rights movement there was another revelation declaring that african americans or really anyone with african descent anyone with dark skin uh, whether they were african or in america or not uh, could now be accepted for the priesthood in the mormon church prior to 78 uh, african americans weren't allowed they weren't eligible for the priesthood Which was pretty significant because uh, every Mormon male has the potential to hold the priesthood at some level, but pre 78 that was off limits for African Americans after 78 it was opened and that racial divide was uh, removed quite conveniently timed. But Mormon theology that just goes to show it can be it's very fluid and can change over time in pretty significant uh, ways, but we'll get to some of those uh, additional things in a minute. Moving on to ethics. So what are some of the key points of morality uh, on the Mormon view? Again, on the face, it's going to seem very, very similar to Christianity. Uh, First, that it rejects moral relativism. So we don't get the kind of anything goes moral relativism that we get with a naturalist worldview or a postmodernist worldview or even bits of the religious pluralism that we've looked at in previous weeks. Mormons do hold to absolute moral laws. So again, similar to the Christian view there. And they would say that those laws are based on the will of god on his commandments on his laws so again on the face there's some superficial similarity to christianity there Um, but they would have to say specifically that it's based on the will of elohim we might touch on that uh, a bit later where do you come to know the will of god would be a, a logical question well they would affirm that we've been given a conscience to know that but in addition to that they would say Ethics come from scripture, which of course is, you know, it's not just the Bible, or or really it's not even the Bible, considering how they uh, interpret it, but they would say it's the Bible as they interpret it, and then it would also be the additional standard works of the church, the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price. That's where we learn the laws of God. What might the ethics look like that we get from that? Well, with regard to what we would just consider social ethics, uh, Mormonism tends to be very, very conservative, they're very much on the conservative side. With regards to the culture, Mormons have a very, very high set of moral standards. Um, They have a particularly high view of marriage and parenting. And part of that uh, is because some of their views of salvation, marriage and parenting play a big uh, part in that which we might see a little bit later. But they take a very, very high view of the sanctity of marriage and the importance of child bearing and parenting. Their sexual ethics, ethics in general are pretty much the same as traditional Christian ones, at least the ones they hold to now. Um, they also place a very, very high value uh, on honesty and integrity and you know, just good old fashioned hard work. Uh, and it's those conservative ethical standards that partly explains the success of Mormonism and Mormons in general as individuals. Uh, there are a lot of very successful high ranking Mormons in um, business in politics in uh, the arts like in book writing they've also been pretty successful at gaining converts recently in a, in a growing secular world people are attracted to what they just see as good old-fashioned american values the mormon church can offer that to them mormons tend to make really good neighbors they're they're very kind people they're very hard-working they're great family people you think christians have a lot of kids look at a mormon family they've seven would be on the on the lower end for them. But we have to remember that they're also a deceived people. So we don't want to be fooled by um, how kind and how nice uh, they are. You may already uh, know this one, but stimulants are not allowed for Mormons. So that would include things like drugs, obviously, but tobacco, alcohol, even just caffeinated drinks are off for them if you were if you're a Mormon. So that means no coffee, no soda, even pink drink. Would not be allowed if you're a Mormon so all other things being equal which they absolutely are not that would have to be a non-starter for probably uh, a lot of us (laughs) but what about the polygamy question everyone associates mormons with polygamy right Um, i think people still and i would have been guilty of this myself mistakenly believe that the mormon church still practices and endorses polygamy because we have tv shows like uh, sister wives or uh, big love But that's not officially the case there are still some small fundamentalist sects or just rogue individuals that practice polygamy as an expression of their uh, religion but polygamy has been officially forbidden by the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints as i said before since 1890 when they received a new revelation that said that that practice was no longer to be uh, done and like with the uh, priesthood we can see historically why this happened uh, at the time, around 1890, Mormons were practicing polygamy all over the place in Utah, but they were getting pressure from the federal government, who had outlawed polygamy, and Utah wanted to become a state. But they were not going to be given statehood until and unless they stopped practicing polygamy. And so a pronouncement was made in 1890 via this new revelation that henceforth, polygamy was no longer going to be permitted by the Mormon Church. <coughs> And they actually consider it now uh, an abominable practice, all of that, despite the fact that it's an indisputable fact that Joseph Smith, the founder of the religion, had over two dozen wives. The exact number is still up for debate, but needless to say, it is indisputably more than one and his successor, Brigham Young had at least 22 wives, which is a conservative estimate. Many think he may have had even double that. He had at least 57 children among those wives. And Brigham Young actually said, while in his status as a prophet, that polygamy polygamy was required to get full uh, godhood status after death. But that has since kind of been walked back. But they would still say officially before this revelation, it was not ethically wrong to practice polygamy. It was, for that dispensation, right and proper and even encouraged. But since then, uh, no bueno, Not, not allowed anymore. Moving to salvation, the Mormon view of salvation is uh, interesting, to say the least. Uh, But salvation, to become saved from Mormon, what it ultimately means is really divinization. It's becoming gods ourselves. And we saw that in the, the very first quote that I had, man is a god in embryo. So that's the goal. That's how you want to become saved. Well, how do you accomplish this? Well, they would say that they are saved partly by grace, grace in scare quotes there, but certainly not grace alone. Uh, Salvation comes through grace and works for the Mormon, and really it's mostly works. Uh, One of the most well known verses in the Book of Mormon uh, is from 2 Nephi chapter 25. You may have heard this. It says, For we know that it is by grace that we are saved, sorry, for we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. So, really, a corruption of Ephesians. 2.9, Two nine that we are saved by grace through faith as Paul teaches, but here it's grace after you've done all that is required of you. So after you've done all the things that humans can and must do, and according to them, humans can do all of the commands that they're given, after they do that, then God's grace kind of takes you over the finish line. So Mormonism explicitly denies the Christian doctrine of salvation by grace alone. But even their definition of grace when they're saying the word grace is very different from ours Um, when we're talking about grace in terms of salvation we would say it's you know god's unmerited favor towards sinners their definition of grace which according to their website is divine help and strength which you receive after obedience so again this is from their their website to receive this enabling power referring to grace we must obey the gospel of jesus christ which includes having faith in him repenting of our sins, being baptized, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and trying to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ for the rest of our lives. So it's after you've done all of that, that the Mormon receives grace. So an unbelievable yoke they have upon them. And that's why you see them being such good people, because their lives depend on it. Um, That's the gospel of Mormonism. What about Jesus then? If we have to do all of that stuff to be saved, what part does Jesus contribute to their salvation? Well, according to Mormon teaching, the atonement of Christ, which for them didn't start on the cross, it started in Gethsemane. I don't know, that doesn't really matter. But what it does is it makes salvation of men possible. Um, It makes salvation possible for us. Adam's fall um, brought death into the world. They would affirm that, both physical and spiritual death. On the human race which they i won't get into it but they actually view that as a positive because it gives us the possibility to get physical bodies be resurrected and assault to to godhood that couldn't have happened without the fall weird view but then what christ's atonement did was kind of undoes the effect of death on the human race and it allows for all human beings to have a physical a physical resurrection on the last day because Jesus was first resurrected. That ensures that we can be resurrected. So that's what Jesus' atonement does. Make sure that everyone can be resurrected on the last day to then have the opportunity to have earned their way into heaven. So Christ's atonement doesn't accomplish salvation for anybody, it only makes it possible. No guarantee uh, that Jesus dying means that you have a free pass of any kind. This is what their articles of faith have to say. This is from Article 3. It says, We believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. So very unambiguously a a works-based salvation, and those ordinances referenced are quite interesting as well, but we'll have to leave that for uh, another time. So given all that, then, who actually gets to heaven? Heaven is still the goal for them. Uh, who gets to heaven well interestingly nearly everybody ends up in heaven or may, more more accurately uh, ends up in a heaven because there is more than one skipped a few there um, but according to joseph smith there are three different kinds of heavens he refers to them as kingdoms and they have different physical locations and there are different levels of blessings associated with each of them uh, and which heaven you end up with it depends on whether or not you are married and married in the appropriate way, which would be in a Mormon temple. Uh, it also matters whether you've received Mormon baptism, and then how faithful and obedient you were to Mormon teachings during your lifetime. And if you check all of the boxes, then you're at the top level, which is called the Celestial Kingdom. And it's only the, those in that highest level, in the Celestial Kingdom, that actually do get exalted to godhood, and would be able to go on to their own worlds, and be gods of their own worlds, where they then would procreate millions of spiritual children, just like Elohim did, through their own celestial marriages. Um, So they'll have their earthly wife, and this is mostly good for the dudes if that hasn't been made clear, Um, but they'll have their wife eternally, but then they likely most believe will have many more other spirit wives to be able to produce all of these millions and millions of spirit children to seed these other worlds. So that's the celestial kingdom, that's the top level. Then there's the terrestrial kingdom that's level two which is mostly for not quite as good mormons uh, would be in level two and then the lowest kingdom is the telestial kingdom which is level three which is still a heavenly kingdom but it's not all that heavenly this would be for people who still lived somewhat sinful lives they can suffer some kind of punishment for a while in almost like a purgatory type state uh, which mormons call spirit prison but they still wouldn't end up in the permanent hell uh, bad place what we would consider hell. Uh, We would likely be in level two or level three by the way according to the Mormons. There is a hell hell which they refer to as perdition but only the only kind of people who end up in perdition would be uh, Lucifer and his demons and his armies and then also what Mormons refer to as the sons of perdition. I'm not 100% clear on it but it seems to refer to Mormon apostates. So people that have tasted the truth of Mormonism and then denied it and left. They would be in perdition as well, Um, but overall not a very high population. So some people will be in this perdition state, but not all of that, uh, all that many. So quickly to address a question that I hear a lot and have wondered myself over the years, are Mormons Christians? Insofar as a person believes the teachings of the LDS church, I could quite confidently say no, Uh, absolutely they are not. It's not of the same essential faith as Christianity, of orthodox Christianity. It's not simply another denomination that we have small quibbles with. There's no gospel in Mormonism. Um, I think somebody could maybe be saved inside of the Mormon church um, despite what the church is teaching. They might not be understanding what is being said, and God may have somehow given them eyes to see the truth in the Bible, because they do have the Bible, but that would be a miracle of God that he could certainly do, but that would not be uh, the norm. So in general, anybody that is a practicing Mormon, we would have to say is not saved and is not a Christian and is one in need of evangelism. Clearly, as you've picked up today, Mormonism is radically different than biblical Christianity on like almost every theological point. They use a lot of the same terminology as we do, and that's what can be um, deceptive, but they've grossly corrupted those words. They'll say things that sound orthodox a Mormon will probably agree with you. Yes, I believe that Jesus died for me. Um, What we have to be aware of is the fact that we're not talking about the same Jesus. Uh, You may have had it where you're talking with a friend about a mutual acquaintance named Jimmy, but then as you start having the conversation, you realize, oh, I'm talking about Jimmy Jones, he's talking about Jimmy Johnson, a radically different person. That's what it's like when we're talking about Jesus with a Mormon. They're two very, very different people. Uh, Their Jesus is not our Jesus, and their Jesus is really no savior Uh, at all okay we've got no time at all just one second Gabe. we've got no time for the evaluation so that if it's okay with you we can maybe spill that into next week we can go through the evaluation i thought this might happen so that being the case i've also planned to show some examples of people engaging with mormons to kind of get some idea of what it's like to engage uh, a mormon and then we'll see what time we have there and then the week after that we'll go to islam yeah gabe question My question, so did you say that people who can attain their, whatever, their highest level of heaven, their kingdom, they have the possibility of then becoming gods themselves and then having their own reality? So I guess if that's the case, how would they know that their reality right now is not Elohim's, but some other prophet who became a god? So it's not their own reality. It's more their own worlds that all exist in the same physical material realm. So they would suggest that other gods exist now that we don't know about, just in a place in space that we've not detected. Maybe it's outside of our forest co- telescopes wherever. Um, they exist physically there. So they would confidently say that they know that Elohim is the god of this world. And then when they get exalted to godhood, there'll be some other far off place in the universe. Being gods of their own world or galaxy, some ill-defined set of material space. It's a pretty good deal. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Master. Could you just comment on baptism for the dead? Yeah. <laughs> so that's one of the one of the many unorthodox views of Mormonism. Um, they have their own baptism for believers that is important to have in the Mormon, an official Mormon baptism, but they also corrupt, I think it's either first or second Corinthians, uh, they will hold a baptism for the dead for the hope that people that have died before them that were not Mormons would still have the opportunity to be saved. They don't actually baptize the body of the dead person. They would have a a substitute like I could be baptized on behalf of my uncle, who was not a Mormon in hopes that that would give him the opportunity to be saved. There's probably more to that, but that's what I know of it. So don't don't do that. Uh, It doesn't work. Yeah. Just to kind of touch on what he was saying, I had when I first moved to Illinois, my doctor that I worked for was a Mormon. And he introduced himself to me as a Christian. Mm-hmm. And he was a very godly person, very kind. Yeah. Um, if I had a sick child, it was never an issue. He blocked off time in his day to go to all of the same events and he It was it was a one time thing. It was it was not what I was raised with. Christian. I knew right, yeah. right away. I was told this this is not God. Of God. Um, they referred to it I think as like the celestial kingdom. Correct. Is that the Yep, reality? that's top level. Okay. That's top level godhood status. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you get invited back again, <laughs> like take a take a camera or something, <laughs> or we'll all join you and it'll be a great time. Yeah, Jacinta. Correct, yeah. So, so an uncle that wasn't a Mormon wouldn't be in perdition anyway, unless he was a Mormon apostate. He would probably default into level three, I would say. So the baptism of the dead would give the opportunity to bump him up maybe to level two. I don't think you can bump up to level one just because it's so works-based. But yes, sim- similar to the Roman Catholic view of um, paying of indulgences to try to get someone out of purgatory faster. It's the same kind of weird view of the afterlife that's not found in our scripture, uh, anyway. Yeah. Well, it's why they maintain the greatest scope of, uh, genealogies. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they're behind any of the genealogy organizations, but what, what pastor said there is correct. Mormons have a very, very thorough genealogy so that they can do these kinds of things. So that, and you gotta feel for their heart, right? They're trying to save people that didn't know any better from, pri- especially prior to Joseph Smith having this revelation, they would have said that the truth was lost for 1800 years and this gives them an opportunity to try to save those people. So, I mean, you, you get, it's wacky, but you, but you get it. But yeah, it has led to genealogy stuff that's better than any others. Yeah. Um, yeah speaking of- I thought maybe you were a Mormon when you came yeah, in with the, no. <laughs> <laughs> the the beard the beard gave you away yeah um, I don't know if you touched on like the, the Jaredites and uh what are they, the, Nephites. the Nephites and Lamanites um, yeah so did you touch on a little bit there was those people groups and their fighting and um like what kind of uh archaeology evidence do we have that those people existed? What kind of geographical yeah. evidence do we have? What map do they use? Like that kind of thing. Yeah, that's a good question. That was going to be part of the evaluation, but we can cover some of it now. But I know that you've loaded that question for me, and I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> but speaking of like uh, our scriptures, the Bible, the Bible has been affirmed countless times, countless times of things that the Bible records that we eventually dig up in the dirt. People like to say that there's no verifiable truth of what was in the Bible actually happened. Well, there's all kinds of it in the dirt. Um, The Bible has been used to have targeted archaeological digs to find things, and the Bible has been proven over and over to be accurate. Book of Mormon has been not so lucky. Um, Book of Mormon records all kinds of history here in North America in the less recent past than what what the Bible records, and not a speck of it has been found anywhere there's no evidence of these nephites or lamanites or jaredites uh, anywhere none of the landmarks that have been referenced were there there's no coinage or anything from those times not one speck of historical archaeological evidence has been to even sniff what the book of mormon is talking about so there are many of reasons the book of mormon is not true and i wouldn't use what we dig up to be my key thing to attack but the fact that when you hold that up next to the bible it's not even not even close so, any other softballs for me? No? Okay. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah? Uh, you mentioned the spirit, So, like, since it's not then what, who is that? Yeah, good question. Um, and I'll, I might touch on that one next week as well. They, they typically refer, they typically say Holy Ghost versus Holy Spirit anyway. They make a weird distinction there. But they consider the Holy Ghost a personage, um, but it's still material but we can't see it or touch it. I don't know a way to explain that to you, <laughs> but, but they, they still wouldn't view it as a spirit, as we think of a spirit as something outside of our realm, outside of the physical world. They still maintain, they have to maintain it for the whole system to still work, that it's material. So it is in some way. Usually when they say spirit, they're referring to like the force of Elohim, like, When he does something, it's the spirit that is the force that does that. So very similar to uh, Jehovah's Witnesses when we get there. I probably shouldn't say it, but she's not in the room today. But uh, my mother in law, they winter in Arizona and Arizona has a very big Mormon population and she um, bought a book for our kids, a a children's story. Uh, It was high level stuff, but it was talking about our Heavenly Father. And it was going through, and I was cockeyed for it for a while. And then I heard, I heard them say Holy Ghost instead of Holy Spirit. I'm like, no one post-1950 says Holy Ghost anymore. And then I looked at the back and saw that it was a, a publication of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Dang it! <laughs> um, but really, it was a great moral lesson. All of that, everything that we're saying... I don't want to say Mormons are good people because, you know, Jesus, why do you call me good? There's only one good. Um, But socially, they're very kind, very good people. They teach high moral standards. So I find myself falling into the temptation of wanting to say, well, it's close enough. But it really isn't close enough. So if you have any Mormon friends or family, I wouldn't say I don't want to stir the pot. I don't want to get into it with the family and ruin the relationship. Unless they're one of the people that actually have no idea what the Mormon Church is teaching and they've just read the first half of this giant book that they have. It's likely that they are a person whose soul is in danger and need to hear um, the gospel. But it's 1030, so I'll stop there. We'll pick this up next week. Um, We'll hit on a few more of the evaluation tools that we've used before to see how we can apply that to Mormonism. And like I said, we might look at some examples of engaging a Mormon to see what that might actually be like. You hear some of the canned responses that they often have. So we'll look forward to that, but I'll pray for today and we can dismiss. Lord God, thank you again. Um, we know that it is not by a work of ourselves that you have chosen us as one of your people. Thank you for opening our eyes and hearts to the true gospel as revealed in your word. Lord, I pray that while we can chuckle at some of these things, there are millions of people who have put their hope in it and, and are lost. So I, I pray that we wouldn't be haughty. We wouldn't be stuck up for knowing the truth that while they do not, but we would be uh, feel a sense of urgency to share this good news with all that need to hear it, and the Mormons are a group of people that need to hear it. So thank you again for your word. Thank you for um, what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross and that it is not by our works that we are saved, because, Father, we would be utterly doomed if it were. So thank you again for Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen.